1: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
2: The drums of war are banging for sure. Biden's nowhere to be found, of course. And uh, the economy, still a big issue on people's minds. So how's it doing? Welcome back to the show. Glad you're here. 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zeoli. I have a lot of questions about how all this is going to impact gas prices and prices at the pump in general. I think you probably have these questions as well. So let's get some answers, shall we, from our buddy at the Heritage Foundation, Dr. E.J. Antony Riese. I'm not sure what that was. Uh, Research fellow in the Heritage Foundation's Grover M. Herman Center for the Federal Budget. And he joins me now here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. Dr. E.J. Antony, it was great to see you in person last week, buddy. Yeah, Rich, great to see you, too hope you had a good time. You, you brought us bad luck, though, for the Phillies, but no offense, but we, we'll oh let gosh. that go. We'll I, forgive you. I'll tell
3: you, you what. This is, this is why I need to just stay in my lane. I need to talk economics and leave the sports to the professionals.
2: <laughs> uh, all right, let's talk about, first of all, I got this uh, email from somebody yesterday. A snarky message from somebody who said, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about when it comes to the economy. Uh, gas prices have nothing to do with Joe Biden. They have nothing to do with him whatsoever. And I don't know. And then he proceeds to insult my intelligence. You know, the, the typical tactics that people do on the left these days. So I'll ask you the question, since you are an expert, you you, you are an, a, an actual economist. Does Joe Biden have any, anything to do with gas prices?
3: Oh, certainly. I mean, what was the very first thing he did when he got into office? Literally on day one, he began attacking uh, oil and gas infrastructure, canceling the Keystone XL pipeline. He's been canceling uh, uh, leases and permits across the country, increasing costs for the permits and leases that he doesn't cancel. I mean, all of these things are going to affect uh, the cost to actually get oil and gas out of the ground to refine these products to deliver them to the customer etc i mean they're even declaring war on the appliances that use fossil fuels so if you're going to say that joe biden doing all of that somehow has no impact on on gas prices then i think you're just fooling yourself
2: yeah i, I think i think you are absolutely fooling yourself no question about it and the other issue too is that since the the, the gas prices obviously at the we pay at the pump um oil on the international market is about to be implicated uh, or impacted by all of this i would say so here's my question to you what what does all this mean right now with with the the conflict in the middle east and with with oil being the way it is how when do we feel that pain here back home do we feel that pain here back home at some point
3: Well, we've started to feel it a little bit already, and then it's just going to be a matter of, are the speculators' fears going to be realized of oil disruptions? And if they are, then we're going to see prices march higher. If not, if it turns out everything blows over, which, I mean, it's the Middle East, so we'll see if that happens. But if everything just blows over, then the speculators will lose a bunch of money. So it it remains to be seen, but when you have things like the, the idiotic decision For us to conduct airstrikes in in Syria? Uh, I mean, why on earth are we devoting all of these military resources right now to to a region that that is already a powder keg? It's as if this president is doing everything he can to escalate the situation, not de-escalate it.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think a lot of people are feeling the exact same way right now. And since we have decreased our production of oil in the United States of America, we are more dependent now On the factors in the Middle East, we don't have the ability to turn around and say, well, it's irrelevant to us now because the United States of America is not doing the same output that it did when Trump was president. So, of course, then Biden's policies could ultimately affect the price of gasoline at the pump since the United States of America has has lowered our output
3: right and not only have we lowered our output but even if we were to suddenly have a surge in output we have allowed the infrastructure to de- to decay in literally just a couple of years people don't realize that the, the oil and gas industry involves massive amounts of plants and equipment that take a lot of maintenance And a lot of these projects, for example, it may take uh, investments, a tremendous amount of investment this year, let's say billions of dollars, which are going to take years to recoup. Well, when you have someone in the White House who's promising to end your industry, how much are you going to actually want to invest in these long-term projects? And so what's happened is I don't care whether it's refineries or pipelines or, or all other kinds of plants and equipment. But businesses are starting to sideline and mothball this stuff. And so even if you could miraculously open the taps tomorrow, which you can't, but even if you could, you don't have the infrastructure in place today to handle the same amount of product that you did uh, in 2019 and even uh, to a certain extent in 2020. But the production part aside, just our stockpiles are way down, pushing Oklahoma levels are at dangerous territory. You have the Strategic Petroleum Reserve that has been drained almost in half by this president. We don't have a month's worth of oil anymore. We only have about two weeks in case of emergency.
2: Oh, wait, 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 wait. We only have two weeks in case of an emergency. I got more Campbell's soup in my garage in case of an emergency than we do oil. (laughs)
3: Right. And and see, one of the reasons, Rich, why you need uh, extra days of supply, why why a month really has has kind of been the, the safety benchmark, so to speak, is because you can't just simply flick a switch and turn all this stuff on and off. It takes weeks to get these things up and running. And so you need that ample cushion uh, in, in your supply chain, essentially, in order, in order to, um, to get through some kind of crisis. And I don't care whether that's uh, Iran mining the, the, the Straits of Hormuz, or whether it's a terrorist attack, you name it. We need a larger stockpile than we have today. And it's not an economic issue. That's just strictly a national security issue.
2: Dr. E.J. Antonio, you also tweeted out yesterday, you said, um, here's a plain English thread on the latest GDP numbers. I heard a lot of people, even, even hosts on Fox News yesterday, were going on about how great Biden's economy is. Uh, here's a plain English thread on the latest GDP numbers and why this is totally unsustainable. Oh, yeah, and inflation's not dead. Now, what you tweeted out was a graph that looks like an echocardiogram. It meant somebody having a massive heart attack, only instead of a flatlining, <laughs> the heart attack goes through the freaking roof. So explain to us what that means.
3: Uh, well, that, that normal heartbeat rhythm that you're observing there, that's you know moderate price increases over the course of, say, a decade or so. And then that heart attack would be the, uh, the inflation we had ever since Joe Biden got into office. And yes, it has come down, uh, but for all the people who are listening who can't see the graph, What's happened in the last quarter, it's starting to shoot back up again. And the reason is because inflation isn't dead. It is very much still with, the, with us because the government continues to spend and borrow much too much money, and we continue to have a Federal Reserve that refuses to do what needs to be done to get this problem under control. Just for for a little bit of perspective, which I think we talked about uh, last time, you know, the, the Treasury has already borrowed more than 5 Hundred billion dollars, half a trillion dollars, just in the first three weeks of October. I mean, we borrowed less than half of that in the entire month of October last year. Forget a two trillion dollar deficit. We are on track for over three trillion dollars in deficit just this year alone. And that doesn't even factor in all of the interest on the debt that we can't afford either.
2: Yeah. What, what was the point you made on Twitter about the interest that we're dealing with here. And again, you know, I was very happy to hear Mike Johnson talk about this. The new Speaker of the House, I was glad to hear him talk about the debt and talk about it because people don't often do this. But you made a comment about what we're spending just in interest on the debt. And the number that I, I, I think I saw you tweet out, I mean, it was shocking. I almost fell out of my chair. Is it is it a trillion dollars in just the third quarter of this year?
3: At, at an annualized rate. So an annualized rate basically means... If the conditions of the third quarter were to last for the entire year, what what would that look like? In other words, we spent $250 billion just in a single quarter, which means a trillion dollars over the course of a year, and, and the reason we we want to talk about like an annualized rate is because it, it puts in perspective what we're looking at in the year ahead. Except the problem is that the debt is growing, and the interest rate we're paying on the debt is also growing because we have debt that was previously issued at one or two percent, which is now being rolled over at five percent plus. And so the consequence of that is. What we're currently paying in terms of uh, servicing the debt is only going up. And what's really crazy is even if you want to adjust this for inflation, right? A lot of people say, oh, well, you know, it's not that bad because, you know, the dollar's not worth as much. So you can't really compare it to yesteryear, blah, blah, blah. Okay, even if you adjust for inflation, it's still eight hundred billion dollars. I mean, this is far and away the biggest quarter we have ever had.
2: Yeah. Wow. Uh, I mean, that's that's unreal. And then and then let's talk about. (laughs) So in the middle of all this, everybody's dealing with inflation and people are worried about the the price of consumer goods, which is still clearly not not going anywhere down. And there still seems to be a supply chain issue going on. Like For example, I I know somebody who just bought a house. They're looking to buy some chairs. And as soon as they can get these chairs is March. Like what's that about? What's going on with that? Why can't we get chairs? I mean you can, but like a lot of these stores are are we're still dealing with supply chain stuff. I thought all that went away.
3: So on on net the supply chain stuff really has been resolved. You will occasionally find some items that are still being affected but you'll also find some items where the supply chain has believe it or not improved compared to pre-pandemic. So, you know, on on net average overall those things are are basically worked out. But what we're starting to see today is a similar effect but from a different problem. And it's that businesses are basically so incredibly impacted by inflation that they can no longer afford to make the same volume of goods that they did before because they have to charge a price that just too many people aren't willing to pay. And so, as they have to charge more, there's less consumer demand. And the result of that is they can't sell as much. So they're not making as much. And that's how you start getting these. Sometimes you get into these mismatches temporarily between supply and demand. And it takes a while for both participants, both the producers and the consumers to adjust to these market forces as prices are changing so rapidly. And so it's not so much today an issue of, uh, you know, people are staying home because of COVID and not going to work. So we're not producing enough. It's because, you literally have companies where I don't care if they're making chairs or cars or cell phones, whatever, they literally can't make enough stuff that people can afford.
2: They literally cannot make enough stuff that people can afford. Well, that's not good. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's not really good at all. And then, you know, not to be like a, a downer here. Oh, look, I'm just seeing breaking news. A Chinese jet comes within 10 feet of a USB-52 bomber. Oh, that's fun. Uh, we're still making a lot of things in China, as a matter of fact. Uh, are, are we not?
3: Yeah, you know, we are unfortunately, and and it really is a shame how much of the Biden administration I think can be defined as being in hoc to China. Whether that's you know reversing the the Trump era policies of. Of trying to uh, re onshore manufacturing. He has basically surrendered what's left of our manufacturing and industrial base to China. Uh, Look at what he did in terms of the manipulation of the yuan. He he has completely turned a blind eye to the currency war that China is waging against the United States and against many of our friends and allies. Uh, He also has turned a blind eye to the investigation into COVID. In fact, he canceled the the previous investigation that was started by his predecessor. So apparently now he's not even concerned uh, with with this plague that cost how many hundreds of thousands of American lives. He's not interested in figuring out where it actually came from. I mean, it truly, again, is amazing how so many actions of this president make it seem as if he is just in hock to the Chinese Communist Party.
2: Well, like, you, you you stop busting the guy's chops. I mean, it's a beautiful weekend. He's gonna be at the beach. I'd be, I would be at the beach too. I mean, it's it's gorgeous out. You, know, you get the sunshine, eat the sand. You know, I mean, come on.
3: <laughs> yes, yes, fiddling while Rome burns. Right? As uh, I think, I just, I think I just saw the markets entered into uh, correction terror today, which just goes to show you that as. As uh, I think traders are digesting that yesterday's GDP number was basically a lot of fluff and not sustainable, I think people are are finally beginning to realize that, that we're headed into some very troubled waters.
2: Well, like the Wall Street Journal, for example, that had the, uh, the the third quarter GDP boom was the headline. When you dig deeper, consumers keep driving the economy even as business investment lags. And that's the point that they're making here, which is that business investment is lagging. And then, and yesterday on the show, we talked about it, it, the question of another Black Monday. Could that be coming? Everybody's familiar with that, E.J., and Tony. Everybody knows what that means. Black Monday. We learned about it in school. We, 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 we learned about the roots of the Great Depression. And the question is bond market stock market business market talk to me about all this i mean should we be worried about where things are headed
3: i mean absolutely but it's always a question of timing right you can look at all kinds of periods in history like you know, early 1929, and you could see that things were, were clearly unsustainable, uh, especially what the Federal Reserve was doing at the time with, with manipulating uh, international gold flows, which was, which was a big cause of the 1929 crash. And you can look at today what government is doing with, with spending, with borrowing, and again, with the Federal Reserve creating money, and you can see that it is clearly unsustainable. The question is, when is the bomb going to go off? And I think that's a key reason why yields on treasuries have continued to march higher this year. Investors are increasingly realizing that that bomb is going to go off a lot sooner than we originally thought. And so that's making them demand to be compensated for that additional risk by getting a higher yield. And you're absolutely right on on the investment point that you brought up. We actually have less investment today in real terms, meaning adjusted for inflation, than we did all the way back in the first quarter of 2022. Investment is a key driver of economic growth. That's where you get the plants. That's where you get the equipment, the things that increase productivity, the things that increase income. And you are getting less and less of that as time goes on. That's not a formula for sustainable growth.
2: Yeah, but you know what it is? Uh, so a formula, uh eight ninety-nine for cereal. $8.99 for cereal. There was another story I saw about this where a woman goes to the grocery store, she sees the price of cereal, and she says it's $8.99. Does it come with a gallon of milk, too? You know what's going to happen? We're going to be going back to the welfare bin cereals. You know the the, the old joke about, I think it was an Eddie Murphy joke, you know, you get your cereal from the welfare bin. They they have those big bins of bulk cereal, and everybody gets a scoop, and you start scooping in it for a box of cereal is unsustainable. But also uh, cars, too. The average buyer of a new car in America paid about $50,000 in 2023. And then let's talk about housing prices as well. Housing prices. Because in the midst of all of this, E.J. and Tony, Dr. E.J. and Tony's with me, economist, expert, man who knows his stuff for sure. In the midst of all this, we have the housing market is at a very, very precarious place right now, which is that people – can't really get into homes because of the interest rates, yet a lot of people still need homes, and so there's not enough inventory. You tweeted out the following uh, regarding the housing market, if I can find your tweet. Well, I'll just ask you about it. I mean, what? where are we with that as we stand here right now today?
3: Well, essentially, we still have this problem of the fact that prices can't come down because of how much the Federal Reserve has manipulated interest rates, and because of how much prices have gone up uh, uh, for home builders. And so you're seeing both the the supply of new homes and the supply of existing homes really, really get get shrunk while interest rates are going up. So normally interest rates going up cause home prices to come down, but you're not seeing that today. So the cost of owning a home, your monthly payment, which is a function, obviously, of, of the interest rate that you're borrowing at and then also how much you're borrowing, that monthly payment continues to march higher. And so even as we, we see, for example, uh, pending home sales, which are basically you know things uh, like contracts, the, the sale hasn't actually been finalized yet, but the National Association of Realtors found that that's down 11% just in the last 12 months. And we are a whopping 20, if I remember correctly now, it's 27% below the 2001 level. And they're predicting that in the by the time we get to the end of 2023, we're going to go from the current 11 percent drop to all the way down to 17.5 percent of the drop. I mean, it, it's just it's really, really crushing the housing market. We're at the point now where there are fewer than two homes for sale on an annual basis than there are realtors. In other words, the average realtor is going to sell less than two homes. I'm pretty sure that's a bubble.
2: Wow. Well, listen, my friend, I appreciate it. The good news about the uh, cereal being nine bucks is that the prize at the bottom is going to be awesome. Like when I was a kid, I remember Captain Crunch. Uh, At the bottom, I think I had some sort of a secret decoder ring, possibly, or maybe that was Bazooka Joe. I forget. But I actually come to think of it now, I don't think they even do prizes anymore at the bottom of cereal boxes. I have to double check that with my wife. She, again, does not really let the kids eat a lot of sugary cereals. But whenever dad is in charge, as you can imagine, especially this time of year, we're going uh, Frankenberry. We're going Frankenberry because it's Halloween.
3: <laughs> love it, Rich. Love it.
2: Dr. E.J. Antoni, Tony, always a pleasure, my friend. You are, of course, the best. You are the official Zioli Show in-house economist and research fellow in the Heritage Foundation's Grover M. Herman Center for the Federal Budget. Have a great weekend, buddy.
4: You too. The Rich Zioli Show on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT.
2: All right, so the other uh, issue we got to talk about as the show progresses today, of course, is where do we head now with uh, the United States launching airstrikes on Iranian-backed targets. The senior U.S. defense official said, the following, what you saw us demonstrate is readiness to take military action if necessary. Where do we go from here? Uh, Dr. Mike Venaria. Is a great friend and he knows how important our veterans are to us, which is why every single year he does a free veterans breakfast at his office in Cinnamons in New Jersey just to say thank you. Thank you to our veterans. Thank you for being there for us. And it's open to the public. You can come by as well. Every veteran's welcome. There's also going to be a free community shredding event. All those documents you don't want to wind up in the wrong hands. Yes, Dr. Mike Venerio will help with that as well. The reason why he cares so much is because just like you, just like me, he's a patriot. He really is. And you'll love talking to the guy. He's a great conversationalist. The whole staff of Venaria Dental is fantastic. These are good people dedicated to your care. And they're going to make sure that you have the best smile possible. From the, from the people that greet you at the front desk, the dental hygienist, to Dr. Veneria and his team, they are award-winning. In fact, for 10 years in a row, he has been voted top dentist in New Jersey because of the great customer care that he gives. It's not customer, I shouldn't say that. It's, it's uh, patient care. And he doesn't view you as a customer. Now, the chain dental offices that you see a lot of, and they're popping up more and more, they view you as a customer. And they're concerned with one thing, and that is their bottom line, cost. Dr. Venaria is concerned about your care. That's why he has two offices to serve you, Cinnamonson and Woodbury. Both of them have been around for decades, and generations of people go see him, and they travel to see him. Whether it's Mama Zioli coming all the way from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, or it's people coming right over the bridge from Pennsylvania. It's worth it. Get the smile you deserve. You only have one smile, and your smile says so much to the world, so please make it your best with my buddy, Dr. Mike Venaria. Just go to venariadental.com, V-A-N-A-R-I-A, venariadental.com. You'll see firsthand the great care, the expertise of my buddy, Dr. Mike Venaria, venariadental.com.
4: I don't think so.
2: We want to work, baby. We want to work hard. And we're glad you're here today. 855-839-1210 is the number if you'd like to weigh in on everything we are discussing on the show today, including, of course, the escalation that is going on in the Middle East. And thank God, on a Friday, we can turn to our buddy... Dr. Victoria Coates, former Deputy National Security Advisor to President Trump, and the Vice President of the Davis Institute for National Security and Foreign Policy at the Heritage Foundation. She's also a very fellow depressed Philadelphia Phillies fan. So <laughs> we have that in common.
0: Yeah. Hey, Rich. Good to be with you in these difficult times. Uh, not Not with the conversation I was hoping to have this evening about the first game of the World Series, but. There's always
2: next year. Now, here's a question my nine-year-old son asked me, Patrick. He said, Dad, who are you going to root for in this? And I think we got to root for the Texas team because, uh, well, actually, no, I changed my mind. I think we got to root for Arizona because if Arizona beat the Phillies and then they, beat, they win the World Series, we can kind of feel a little bit justified. All right, at least we got, we got beat by the team that won the World Series. Yeah,
0: no. i do not root no, for either can't. of them. Uh, okay. <laughs>
2: absolutely not. And- the correct answer, everybody. Thank you. <laughs>
0: If you if you Google Pocket Utley, uh, that was my son's nickname growing up, and I, I one of the years when the, after the 08 team, when he was about the same age as your son, uh, and we had a real rough sort of slide into the postseason. I wrote an article about him, and it's on it's online. But you know, when you have kids that age, you know it's devastating because next spring seems like it's so long away. And what was funny was uh, my kid, who's now twenty uh said oh he's like it'll be here before we know it he's already like looking at dates for spring training so you know it's hard for a nine-year-old to see how spring could ever come yeah but it's It's fun fun when they kind of get with it and also we have the birds
2: and we, well, yes, and it but it, it's so true. He goes, because my son said to me last night, he goes, Dad, how long do we have to wait for baseball again? I said, well, buddy, technically the World Series is tomorrow night, but I know what you mean. We got to wait till February. He goes, February? Dad, that's forever. I said, I know. Believe me. And when you get older, it flies by. And yet at the same time, it feels like it takes forever until we can get to spring. So <laughs> I completely understand your pain. But let's look forward to the game Sunday at one o'clock. Uh, all right. Now, oh, let's, uh, if we're still here, if we're all still here, because mm-hmm. I- I'm watching the news and it seems like what we're looking at right now is an escalation that's going on in the middle east at the very same time we have the ukraine issue going on uh breaking news that a a, a chinese plane just went within 10 feet of a of a Mm -hmm. b-52 bomber i believe if i saw that chiron correctly uh what the hell's going on in the world dr victoria coates
0: no it's it's grim and i wouldn't call what israel is doing right now an escalation i mean they are responding to the very extreme escalation hamas uh did on october 7th you know none of this would be
2: happening oh and to be clear i don't i I did not mean to imply that it it was israeli escalation i meant the entire overview of the whole picture but just to be clear but go go ahead please
0: no no concur and i just yeah i wanted that to be clear too but what we had overnight last night was the biden administration firing off a couple of rockets at some empty warehouses in on the iraq syria border which I believe are sites that we've hit before, uh, and as I said, they were empty, and that then they the administration like got in touch with all of the news services, told them they had to go live overnight to cover all this you know their bravery and their robust action and how they were restoring deterrence and being tough on around, and I said at the time, you know the only way. This will be demonstrated as if Iran doesn't strike again. And lo and behold, this morning, Iran sent a killer drone against al Assad, our air base in, in Iraq, uh, which was intercepted. But they mean, they, they went, reached out and hit us again, which was the hundredth time, Rich, that the Iranians have attacked American personnel or installations during the course of, of the Biden administration. And we have responded exactly six times. And apparently, this most recent response was the same as all the rest of them. It just invited more attacks. So the escalating is going on because of Biden's weakness. I think what we need from, from the administration is just full-throated support for the Israelis. Uh, say they have to go in, they have to end this, they have to do what they have to do, and we stand with them rather than this kind of doublespeak that in public we're strong on Israel and private we're reigning in BB. That has to end. And, you know, as you said, we also have the problems in Ukraine and we have China acting up. And so this is just too serious for them to keep playing this double game that they're playing.
2: It is a double game. I think it's a very important point here. And I was just talking to E.J. and Tony about this. I mean, the fact that we're, we're dealing with Syria now, you know, U.S. troops in Syria. And I think a lot of people woke up today and said, why do we have troops in Syria? I didn't even realize we did. I, I think there's just a lot of questions right now about what the United States is doing. If we are if we're sending the right messages, if if if, if what our actions are doing is going to cause things to escalate beyond just what Israel's dealing with right now. Uh, you've got certainly there's a, a, a lot of Republicans who are going, you know, we got to go in there, and we got to we got to finish off Iran. And I mean, that that sounds good from a slogan point of view, but it doesn't it doesn't sound that simple. Uh, Where wh- you know, if you're advising the president right now, if it's a president who actually is not you know planning to go to the beach for the weekend, what do, what do you <laughs> tell him?
0: Well, that's that's the problem. I mean, it's been the problem with Ukraine from the get go. Is I, I literally had this argument yet again today with a former colleague who keeps saying to me, "Why don't you understand?" In Ukraine, it's so important for us to defeat Putin. And I would be happy to defeat Putin. Don't get me wrong, but these people aren't doing it. And unless I have a president who's actually going to prosecute this war robustly with a clear, clearly defined end state and a victory for the United States, why am I spending a nickel on it? And, you know, with, with Iran, I think the problem is that the administration so clearly wants to accommodate the Iranians so that they can get back into some version of their precious nuclear deal, that they will literally forgive anything, even, you know, a terrorist attack like October 7th, to keep the channels of, of communication open with, with the Iranians. And, you know, for, for that reason, you know, I don't trust them at all. And I am deeply concerned about our guys in Syria. I pray for them every night, because you know there are 800 of them, which is you know enough to be a target, but maybe not enough to defend themselves if if an enemy masses in strength. And so you know they they're there to support the Syrian Kurds. Uh, you know I I'm not quite sure to what end. You know nobody likes Assad, but after Obama let the red line be crossed in 2014 timeframe, you know Assad became kind of an inevitability and you know that's not my choice but that may be the reality i have to deal with in which case i'm leaving these americans vulnerable without a clear mission
2: yes you are and i'm glad i'm glad that you are saying that because i think that it's very easy for people to sit back and say we got to go in and defeat putin we got to do all these things and Yet that requires potentially now a lot of American blood and treasure. And so it's it, it's easy to say it. It's another thing to actually achieve it. And then the question that I keep coming back to, and this is when I was listening to the speaker last night on with Sean Hannity is, if we're so worried that after Ukraine, Putin goes into Poland and, and Europe, why why is Europe not doing more about this? Why is Europe not more involved in this? And And I, and I keep coming back to that, Dr. Victoria Coates.
0: That's the $100 billion question, quite literally. And, you know, this has come up repeatedly as we've been discussing the supplemental that the president submitted for some $106 billion. None of it paid for, by the way, just $106 billion they're going to pull out of the ether uh, and print Uh, for Ukraine, for Israel, for Taiwan, for what they call border security, it's actually processing of, of illegal migrants at the border for humanitarian aid, all of these things stuffed into this, into this giant bill. Uh, and none of it makes any sense uh, when, it, when, you, when you connect them all together, especially on Europe question is, why are we uh, committing something, somewhere between 60 and 70 billion more to Ukraine when Europe simply won't stand up? And I don't see the Europeans scratching a check for anything for Israel, let alone $14 billion. And they certainly won't help us with Taiwan. So why are we the lead donor on a European war that they don't seem to care very much about? They're already trying to restart uh, imports of Russian energy. So they're going to pay Putin, basically, to wage this hideous war in, in Europe. So you know, that to me has been the other huge failure of the Biden administration is why why didn't they from the get-go sit down and say, you know, we'll be, you know, we'll match you dollar for dollar, NATO. So every dollar NATO puts in, we'll put in a dollar. That seems to me pretty fair. Uh, but, you know, they, there was no metric like that ever imposed, uh, let alone something where you say, hey, you know, Europe, this is a war in, oh, Europe and You know, we may face obligations in the Middle East or Asia that you're not going to help us with. So we expect you to be the lead donor on the war in Europe.
2: Yeah, exactly right. Uh, Dr. Victoria Coates is with me, and I'm grateful that she's here on a Friday to explain all this to us. And what is, you know, it's funny. It's like we go from Ukraine to to, uh, Israel, back to talking about Ukraine, back to talking about Iran. And we're all over the place here. But what does war with Iran look like? As people are banging the drums here and the United States of America is taking actions like, as you said last night, seem to to have provoked Iran a little bit here. W- what does that look like if this conflict escalates? You've got the Iranian uh, foreign minister whose name I keep botching, but it's, it's something <laughs> like... <I'm the> lion. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think it's Abadabad Abed- 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 Is that right? Uh, that's, that's fine. You know, I close, don't, I'm not right?
0: placed on this earth to make him happy with my pronunciation, <laughs> but it is Abdullahian.
2: That's why you are the vice president of the Davis Institute for Foreign Affairs at the Heritage <laughs> Foundation, and I am just a mere talk show host. Uh, well, he's warning, of course, that the United States will not be spared here. So, what does what war war with Iran actually look like? Well,
0: and I would I would just remind your visitors that he made that warning to the United States from the podium of the UN General Assembly in New York.
2: Yes, because
0: point. Secretary Blinken granted him a visa and he has been waltzing around New York eating in restaurants, shopping, which they always do. You always see them leaving with these giant pallets of packages going to their private plane. Oh, and you and I are paying for his security because he gets secret service security. So taxpayers are footing the bill for him to be in New York and Admiral Kirby, our favorite spokesperson for the NSC, came out yesterday and said, when when Jackie Heinrichs asked him, you know, why on earth is this happening? He said, well, we're obligated. We have to, by law, grant him a visa. And that is a bald-faced lie, because when I was working for Senator Cruz, the Iranians were trying to send another terrorist actually to be their UN ambassador. And we looked at the statute that governs those visas, And it does require the United States to grant the visas unless the applicant has engaged in espionage. So we expanded that and now it says and got it passed into law. Now it says espionage and terrorism. And that particular terrorist did not come to uh, wander the streets of New York as their U.N. ambassador. And Secretary Pompeo used that in 2020 to prevent Zarif from coming to the United Nations, and Secretary Blinken could have used it on Sunday to prevent Abdullayan to, from coming to to New York. So they're, they're lying. They could absolutely have denied that visa and denied him the opportunity to come use the bully pulpit to say in English to the American people that they're going to hold us accountable if the Israelis uh, retaliate for the October 7th attacks. So, you know, it's, it's this through the looking glass situation where they're trying so hard to accommodate the Iranians, not to blame them for this unbelievably savage attack. But what war looks with Iran to me like rich is unnecessary. The Iranians are essentially bullies. If you hit them hard, they back off. They did that repeatedly in the Trump administration. Uh, because they're going to push and push and push, but their, 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 their weaknesses compared to the United States, you know, c- you can barely even begin to, to list them. It's, it's a moribund economy, an unhappy population, uh, nowhere near the capacity. You know, there, there is absolutely no reason to go to war with Iran. We should be able to send very clear signals to them that, you know, they're out of line and we're going to push back. That's what the Soleimani strike was and that we can reach out and touch them whenever we want. They'll back off. But if we keep doing stuff like hitting a small warehouse in retaliation for a hundred strikes, then they're going to keep pushing and that's when things get dangerous.
2: Yeah. You, you, you just said it perfectly on so many points Two two things that I want to reiterate here. Number one, he said this from the U S podium from actually, the United Nations in New York. And if you've been in New York recently, when the UN's in town, Ah, it's brutal. I mean, it's brutal being in New York to begin with, but it's, oh, it's terrible. My wife and I stayed at a hotel recently. Her uh, aunt was turning 80 and we went in for the party and the entire hotel was swarmed with guys with uh, things in their ear and big black SUVs taking up (laughs) space and, uh, but the other point too, which is that, yes, you're right about intimidating Iran and they back down. I think it's almost as if Iran knows we won't, and you got to wonder if there are people now within this administration who are not really looking for them to stand down. I mean, I hate—I hate to be a, a, a little conspiratorial here, but being a wartime president um, seems to be beneficial. And I, I don't know it, the Ukraine thing's not doing it for Joe Biden. So uh, uh, does does being a wartime president with with Iran help him politically? Maybe is that their thinking? I, I don't know. <laughs>
0: I think that I, I actually think what they want, what they think that their great victory will be, would be another nuclear deal. They think that would demonstrate his being Obama's heir, that they are getting back into the pol- Obama's signature international policy, that Biden is now reinstating, that it means they're all for diplomacy and for international agreements, not the sort of cowboy, cowboy approach of President Trump. Uh, so I think that's. That's what their almost fetish is here. I don't know how else to put it. It, I mean, they're they're so determined. It's like there's nothing the Iranians can do. And in terms of of designating the current foreign minister as a terrorist, the Wall Street Journal uh, reported that this guy was at the meetings with Hezbollah and Hamas in Beirut when the October seventh plot was was hatched. I mean, he was there. Why is the minister of foreign affairs? around at that meeting unless he's a terrorist and they they can't even say it so so i think they are however ironically you know through their obsession with this kind of diplomatic process on the nuclear file inching us closer to a conventional war
4: i think
2: you're right i think i think there's two two issues here first one is that barack obama is really truly I think still the president. I mean, I think he's. I think he's literally calling the shots here and pulling the strings. Somebody and I, has and I, I, right, Yeah. I mean, I, I. I think you're right. I think he wants to see this fulfilled. I think this is his vision, and he wants that. And you know, Joe Biden. Let's face it. He's he's building sandcastles on the beach. Uh, and then the other issue is across the world. While all this is happening, we've got trouble in the Pacific. And the Wall Street Journal reporting on what happened regarding a China Philippines wreck, which shows Beijing's increasingly increasingly risky military moves. And I don't know. I mean, it, it, China, it seems to me, uh, it has to be sitting back and looking at this and saying, all right, we're going to hang out with Putin. We're going to hang out with Hamas. We're going to hang out with Hezbollah. We're going to do all these things. The United States isn't really going to do anything about it, which, uh, again, there's other ways to deter this without World War III. I think I think President Trump did a very, very good job of that. Uh, and we have to really wonder now about this axis between Iran, China, and uh, and and, uh, and Russia.
0: No, and it, it should be a situation which it would, I was just talking about with Iran. I mean, these countries have dire internal problems of their own. This should not be an insurmountable access for the United States and our partners and allies. Uh, but we're we're letting it become one. And China basically feels like at this point they can act with impunity. They can, you know, buzz our our planes. They can run into other other ships. And we're still going to beg them to talk to us. We're either going to send our ministers over there in a parade, or we're going to invite their foreign minister who is at the white house today, uh, admonishing secretary Blinken, that dialogue is the way forward, even as they're buzzing our planes. And because they know the Biden people are so desperate to get a climate deal that they will, they will do anything to keep the lines of communication open, even as they're bankrolling Iran and they're bankrolling Russia. So you know, I remember President Trump saying at one point who who was a fan of a conversation. I mean, he would take a lot of phone calls that I might not have taken, but he always was interested in what people said. And at one point, he was asked by a reporter, "Are you know, are you going to talk to Chairman G?" And he said, "No, I'm not very happy with him right now. I don't want to talk to him." And we saw a change in their behavior. You know, we cut off those lines of communication. The president wasn't going to take the call, so. You know, instead of being so desperate to host their foreign minister at an official White House visit, I think I think after behavior like this, you know, the president would have done much better to leave early for the beach, which shouldn't have been that hard, heavy of a lift.
2: So we learned three takeaways today. Number one is that the this White House, this administration which I think is still being run by by, uh, Barack Obama, really wants to see the Iran nuclear deal go through. We learn that this administration, which I still think is really being run by Barack Obama, wants this (laughs) climate change accord to go through with China more than anything. And the third thing is no one gives a damn about the World Series tonight. Since the Phillies are not in it, we just have to put all our hope into the birds.
0: And that may well be Barack Obama's fault as well.
2: <laughs> I was gonna blame Joe Biden, but you know what? We can blame him too. Why not? I love it. Totally <laughs> Dr. Victoria well done, my friend. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. Have a great weekend.
4: You too. Take care. The Rich Cioli Show on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT
2: all right. Uh, a lot of other things to get to domestically as well. I want to play a quick clip of the Speaker of the House of Representatives. I want to talk to Dr. Wolfe Riley in a few minutes, but uh, real quick, the uh, Speaker of the House of Representatives who was on with uh, Sean Hannity last night on people calling him a MAGA extremist. Now, I just want to remind him there's nothing wrong with being called a MAGA extremist. And I... I, for one, think that the word MAGA extremist, the words uh, together here, MAGA extremist, are being put out there by people that want to see this globalist, neocon, pro-war, open borders, pro-climate change policy uh, agenda. So you're not going to placate those people. Don't try to. Don't try to win them over. You're never going to. They're always going to hate you. No matter what you do, they're always going to hate you and they're going to hate your guts. Just my reminder to the new speaker, Mike Johnson, cut number five. You got a very warm welcome from the DNC. They said you were a, an anti-abortion MAGA extremist, Mike Johnson. That was the, their first words. Welcome you. Well, oh yeah, welcome. Welcome to, the welcome to the, your new job. Then they went on to say
3: that you were the co-sponsor of insti- uh, to institute an extreme abortion ban. We'll get into detail nationwide. Uh, you want to cut Social Security and Medicare. And here's some free advice from Mike Johnson and that is, uh, don't get comfortable, we've been here before, this is not the same exact MAGA extremism
2: that the American people uh, have already rejected and they will do it again. I thought that was the warmest welcome you could ever want from the Democratic How about Party.
3: That? Yeah, welcome to the job. Look, they don't, they don't know me, a lot of these people don't know me, and I think um, if they would talk to some of my colleagues here, even on the other side of the aisle that have worked with me for the seven years that I've been on Capitol Hill. Uh, they would tell them that those things are not true. Um, give me a chance. Let me, let me have a chance to lead here, and you'll see what I'm really about.
2: What are you really about? We don't, what, just, I, listen, this is what I worry about. What I worry about is you think you can win them over by, don't do, don't fall into this game here. Don't fall into this trap that other Republicans have done, which is I can convince them I'm different. People will like me. I can be liked just don't worry about it just be a fighter be a fighter for conservatism and let them hate you trust me you can't win these people over they don't it's like they do not want to and they never will like you you would have to denounce trump you'd have to become adam kinzinger or liz cheney that's it that's the only way they're ever going to like you so don't worry about it don't try The correct answer is instead of giving me a try, say, well, you know what? I'm not really worried about what people think of me. What I'm worried about here is getting the results that I promised for the conservatives in this party across the finish line. That's what I'm worried about. And if that means we got to play a defensive posture, so be it. But we're going to make sure that America wins out here. They don't have to like me. I didn't I'm not I'm not here to be liked. It's not why I'm here. That's the correct answer. See this interview with Hannity last night made me nervous, and I was feeling really good up until last night, and I'm I'm nervous today about Mike Johnson, and I don't want to be. I want I want I want to feel like, but I have a, I I just think that Jim Jordan would have given a very different answer to that question. And I think Jim Jordan's answer to that question would have been like, well, if they don't like me, they can go blank themselves, because we're going to do what we have to do for America and for the American people, and we're, we're going to do those things. So I, I know that no matter what. They're not going to give me a chance. I'm not worried about them giving me a chance because no matter what I do, they're going to hate me and they're going to try to stop me and they're going to try to defeat me. That's okay. I'm here for America. I'm here for the conservative movement. I'm here to help make America great again. That's it. That's it. So, yes, he came across likable. I agree. At the same time, he said some things that make me worry about the backbone here. And perhaps that's the reason why Mike Johnson was not early on a contender for this. I said that's a good thing in some ways because it means that the man did not have the ambition to get there, which means that maybe he won't fall into the Paul Ryan trap of the John Boehner trap of the Kevin McCarthy trap of wanting this so badly, you're willing to do whatever it takes to keep it, to get it and keep it. But perhaps the reason why we had not heard his name until the middle of the night two nights ago or three nights ago, whenever it was, seems like a lifetime now was because he did, he did no backbone. There was no backbone there to stand up and say, I'll lead this place. They turned to him and said, you got to do it. Because nobody else can get across the finish line at this point in time. On Friday afternoon at four 56, that's my worry going into the weekend. Did, did we elect a guy as speaker who lacks the fortitude to demonstrate with his actions the things that he said. And remember I told you the other day, I said, I heard a speech, loved it, was cheering it on. I said, let's hope it he delivers on this. Everything he talked about, let's hope he delivers in actual actions that way. But now I'm worried about the spine. I'm worried about the spine and hoping that he does not need a chiropractor, if you know what I mean. 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli. Listen, Cherry Hill Vavo on Route 70 in Cherry Hill, there has never been, and I mean never been, a better time to go see my friends at Cherry Hill Vavo. They have an amazing selection of new and previously owned Vavos for you to choose from, and they also have the incredible lease program called Care by Vavo. Now, I'm a member of that lease program, and I love it because it's one price, And takes care of everything. It even includes your car insurance. So you get your insurance, prepaid scheduled maintenance, tire and wheel care, 15,000 miles annually, excessive wear coverage, and more. So much more. But you got to get it at Cherry Hill Volvo because not every Volvo dealership is the same. Cherry Hill Volvo is the dealership that stands with us. So you need to support them. And every five months, you can have that new car feeling, that new car smell. You can change to a different Volvo, keep the Volvo you have, or cancel the lease altogether. It simplifies your life and makes it so much better for you. But if you want to buy a car or lease a car, they've got incredible incentives for you from new and previously enjoyed as well. They start at $5,000. They go all the way up to $11,000 in incentives so just go see my great friends, Judith Krupnik, Yosef Cohen and the entire team at Cherry Hill Vavo. They would love to see you. And they know how important you are to me. And you need to know how important they are to our radio station. Because we broadcast live every day from the Cherry Hill Vavo studios. Because that's where relationships matter.